Hello, this is Dr. Felix Grizuela with uh, my fourth, uh, with our fourth podcast here uh, in Truth and Healthcare. Uh, those of you who know me know my background, and feel free to check me out on LinkedIn, where I have a on LinkedIn where I have a profile. Uh, I'm a scientist. I'm a physician. I'm a neurologist. Uh, I honestly went into medicine uh, coming out of the ghetto as a poor boy because. I was passionate about it, uh, especially after my mother was diagnosed with Lewy body dementia. Uh, that's the whole story within itself. And, uh, uh, you know, the healthcare system was horrible back then. It's horrible now. I remember talking to a physician back then uh, who uh, was taking care of my mother while she had one of her so-called nervous breakdowns. And uh, I asked him, what are you going to do for my mother? He had her on Melaril, which uh, and Thorazine, which were, you know, drugs of coma back then and uh, that's pretty much all they could do back then they didn't know much about dementia they thought my mother had alzheimer's disease and uh but any event his response was i have her tied down by all fours what else do you want me to do and then this idiot uh, and i was a medical student i was one of his medical students then this idiot had the audacity to get angry at me and uh bash me and uh badmouth me to the administration because I took my mother out of the hospital. So, uh, again, look, I'm not saying that we that healthcare is bad now, it was good back then. It was never good. I mean, the final thing about back then was that uh, doctors, most doctors, most regular doctors, not administrative, because once you're an administrator, you're an idiot, okay? Uh, but most of your regular doctors were very passionate. Uh, I knew a physician that I was very close to that I worked with. Uh, this man was a neurologist, had a five-car garage, a home with a five-car garage. No neurologist would make that kind of money. He loved women. He loved money. He owned four Mercedes. Uh, I knew this guy well. What to think about this guy? He would do rounds at 2, 3 in the morning. He, he's a classic example of you earn what you work or, you know, the fruits of your labor. Because he would be doing rounds at 2, 3 in the morning. Uh, He'd be with some woman cheating on his wife before then, but hey, not my problem. But uh, he was a very bright physician. I mean, knew his stuff. And uh, we'd get together for an hour, two hours, just talk about all kinds of cool stuff. So uh, although the compassion has never been there in medicine, the morality, uh, not breaching your duty, was around back then. You know, I wanted want to talk about cool stuff. Every week, there's something new in multiple sclerosis. Uh, back in 1993, we had what treatment beta sera. Now we have more than two dozen treatments. And uh, uh, traditionally, multiple sclerosis, uh, without treatment, uh, you were unable to walk. You required some kind of assistance to walk by within 10 years, approximately 75% of the time or more. Now with these newer treatments, uh, what they call your CD20, monoclonal antibodies and uh, your anti-integrins and uh, they're coming out with these new drugs called btk inhibitors these drugs target a specific part of the immune system without shutting your immune system down uh, we're using monoclonal antibodies to fight covid which in my in my opinion based on my knowledge uh, based on my observation uh, if you can afford a monoclonal antibodies and uh, and uh, intravenous gamma glomerulin is the best treatment for COVID. They pretty much get it under control 100% of the time, you know, 100% of the time or so. So, you know, these are, I mean, there's 
hundreds, like just hours and hours of stuff I'd like to talk about. I'm a physician, but you can't talk about treatments if you can't get them, okay? I don't want to make the same mistake that Barack Obama made. Barack Obama had his chance. Uh, he offered what they call a public option. I don't know too much about the public option, but I can tell you, I have taken care of politicians, and we're not talking about like local assemblymen. We're talking about U.S. senators, and uh, wow, they get the carpet rolled out to them. I mean, they get whatever they want. I mean, there is no limit to what they can get them in. It's not like, you know, well, let's see how much this, let's get it approved by the insurance company. They get it, okay? Uh, Barack Obama proposed that we offer that to the public. He went into a room with insurance company executives, and he came out with a change of heart. Uh, your big insurers, your high marks humanities of the world, were crying that they could not compete with a public option. So Barack Obama said, okay. And uh, instead, he gave us the Affordable Care Act, or what they call Obamacare. What the Affordable Care Act is, is our bad insurance. And in a minute, we're going to talk about how bad it is. Uh, two more people. It's, I don't know if you'd call this, let, this, let, let them eat cake, because cake is good. Uh, this is bad. So it was just a ploy to try to make it look like he was reaching out to the public and giving them insurance. This has only made things worse. I mean... Uh, it's, I mean, the uh, lifespan has dropped. Uh, we're, don't even get me started on chronic medical condition. We talked about that. I mean, uh, the Journal of American Medical Association, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, the New England Journal of Medicine on October of 2021, this year, published an article on how insurance companies are making more money, but patients with chronic disease, we're not just talking about chronic pain patients, we're talking about a chronic disease, chronic pain falls under the umbrella of chronic pain. We're talking about lupus, sarcoidosis. We're talking about uh, post-traumatic cystern or Alzheimer's disease. The only disease that seems to get a pass is cancer. Uh, cancer is a very serious problem. I mean, knock on wood, I've not had cancer in my family, but uh, other than for my brother-in-law, who recently died of uh, a bladder cancer, which uh, he was a reporter and he was at 9-11. We're attributing it to that. But... Uh, cancer is very profitable, so that's why you see these advertisements. I don't know how it works. I'm just a stupid doctor and not an economist, but somehow uh, cancer therapy is very profitable healthcare system. So they brag about their cancer therapy, but they don't talk about things like Huntington's. Uh, my all of my chronic autoimmune patients, especially those with things like lupus, sarcoidosis, Sjogren's syndrome, they have nobody to take care of them. They have uh, they do see some rheumatologists. I've got, I know some decent rheumatologists, but most of them are very conservative. They don't really do anything. I mean, when a person has lupus, they're in denial of a diagnosis. So uh, uh, this is a result of Obamacare uh, or the Affordable Care Act. I mean, you're just giving bad insurance. You're giving insurance companies the leeway. And as we will see, their profits are increasing. Uh, I... Uh, just posted an article about UPMC here in Pittsburgh. Once again, they made record profits. Now, mind you, they made, they're making profits off a, off a pandemic of which people, leaders and regular people are in denial of. They think it's just going to go away. This is a planet killer. It's a planet killer. Now we have 
a co we have a variant now, the Omicron variant, that has mutation on top of mutation on top of mutation. Now, this scares the crap out of me, and I'll tell you why. As I said, I was a microbiologist before I was a physician. And uh, a lot of viruses, when they mutate, they lose things, okay? Like, for example, the influenza virus of, of, the, of 1917. Uh, because the population was smaller, people were able to social distance, and uh, the virus, the bad, the bad variant, could not find a body to kill or, you know, to make little viruses. So it evolved and lost its pathogenesis. In other words, it wasn't as dangerous uh, as, as it evolved something that was not as dangerous, but is what we now have as the yearly flu, okay? Why did it do that? Because viruses, their goal is not to kill you. Their goal is to find the body to make little viruses. That is the rule. I mean, uh, all life, we're no, better than, we're no better than any virus, no better than any other animal. Goal is to live and to survive. And you may have to do some bad things. You may not have to do some, you may not have to. The Tyrannosaurus Rex evolved into the chicken. What sense does that make? Well, you know, it was a big animal, had to kill, had to, you know, put itself in danger. I mean, a lot of the animals that it killed that were dangerous, like the Triceratops. Chickens, those of you who've had farms, I'm not a farmer, will eat anything. So they're more apt to survive, okay? What is scaring me about the COVID is that it's keeping its previous mutations. In other words, it's not dropping mutations. It's keeping its previous. It's getting stronger. It's getting stronger and stronger and stronger. There are, it's evolving to such a manner in which it's transmitting easily, easier because we have vaccines and the vaccine stopped it. So it's evolving rapidly into something that's existence of vaccines. We call them neutralizing antibodies. Now they're questioning justifiably so, is this as dangerous? But I think it is. I think it's more dangerous because it's not dropping its pathogenesis. The pathogenesis is the ability, the ability to cause disease. And in fact, it's keeping the previous bad things that cause disease. Let's put it in simple terms, okay? So uh, it, the one thing Obama, I got to give Obama credit for is that he did predict that there would be a pandemic uh, by the year 2019, and he proposed that we come up with a bill to prepare. And sadly, the conservatives in the House said, hell no, because money is more important. After all, if you got money, you don't get sick. You're a better lover. You're a better person. So, you know, that's capitalism. You know, it's all about, it's all about money. And uh, just not the way things work. I mean, money is all about trade. And it has advancement of society. You give a better product, you make more money, such as Tesla's doing. Although I don't trust that battery. But in any event, uh, uh, so, you know, that's one thing he did, but uh, he did ruin health care. I mean, well, I don't, I don't know if ruining is the right term. He did nothing and made it worse by giving bad stuff to more people, okay? It's, he gave poison to more people. Perhaps he didn't know. I mean, he's not a physician. He's not a scientist. He didn't know any better. Let's face it. He was the first black president. They didn't like him in Congress, and uh, he had a very, very tough task, so... He was a good orator. He was a man with imagination, with vision, but he could not put forth a lot of what he wanted to put forth. Perhaps with healthcare, this is the best he could do. He had to do something, so all he could do was give bad health care to everybody. So, in any event, uh, recently I published an article uh, emphasizing uh, how 
uh, a group I belong to, Doctors of Courage, which uh, very, very strong group was the only group of its kind, uh, uh, managed to secure uh, information through the Freedom of Information Act uh, concerning this, we'll call it a program called HFPP. The HFPP stands for the Healthcare Fraud and Prevention Partnership. Uh, that's, uh, that was a program, let's call it a program, instituted by the government uh, in partnership with uh, dozens of major insurance companies, including Highmark, including Humana, and many, many more local and and uh, national government officials uh, to prevent healthcare fraud and prevention. Uh, in that program, there was emphasis on the white papers. The white papers were a thing, program, uh, that was instituted by the Trump administration. Uh, Donald Trump uh, asked Jeff Sessions to partner with uh, a company, the company with partner with a company, which was a really a uh, a technology utilization company. Uh, they use computer technology to get stuff, okay, to get stuff from you, to get stuff from doctors, uh, to gather information and uh, about uh, about physicians, about patients. In other words, they were obtaining your private information. Uh, really illegally. I mean, uh, you were they were giving it without your permission. Uh, that is a major violation of the Fourth Amendment. I mean, a major constitutional uh, compromise here. And uh, But uh, their rationale was that uh, they found a loophole, and they say they were doing it because there was evidence of quote-unquote criminal activity. Okay. Uh, they were focusing on a lot, uh, the white paper specifically focused on opiate analgesics, okay? And uh, again, there's been this belief that opiates led to our present uh, opiate crisis, that uh, prescription opiates rather, that in other words, that doctors caused it. Now, for years, we believed it. Uh, we hated doctors, we hated ourselves, and doctors pointed fingers at one another and said, you're the bad guy, I'm the good guy, and uh, they pretty much demonized any opiate analgesics, despite the fact that opiates have been around for well over 3,000 years, and uh, we've known about the addictive effects, but we've also known that they save lives. I mean, you know, it's, uh, we know that people who have chronic pain and don't treat their pain with opiates don't live as long, they have heart attacks, and uh, that was covered in uh, an article by JAMA, October 20th, 2021, this year, a very eloquent article on this, where if you don't get your opioid, you die, because chronic pain leads to chronic inflammation, which clogs up the arteries in your heart and your brain and causes dementia, autoimmune disease, and all this crap. Uh, despite that, uh, there was this obsession with demonizing opiates. Uh, uh, I mean, even I, back in the early 2000s, bought into this, that perhaps we doctors went a little overboard, but uh, looking back at it now, first of all, people a lot smarter than me have found, have, you know, through research, that prescription opiates really accounted for less than 1% of doctors' drugs of abuse. There was a rise in opiate use, as I discussed back in the early, in the early 2000s, but this was due to initiatives created by the government called uh, uh, Pain is a Fifth Vital Sign, that uh, 
you know, there was, they found in the 1990s that chronic pain was being severely underutilized. So uh, chronic pain was being severely under addressed, I should say. So uh, they wanted people to describe it. They, were, they wanted doctors to treat pain. Uh, people were suffering. They weren't working. It was having a negative impact on the economy. People were drying prematurely. So that led to a rise in the early 2000s, which was justifiable. But somehow the, the government, through their magic, turned that into, oh, you know, there's more abuse. And it wasn't abuse. That was disuse. Now we know that uh, 75% or more of the drugs used back then, the opiates, uh, were legitimate. Okay, and uh, But any event, despite uh, the evidence, uh, the government stayed on course. And uh, they, uh, with this program, with the uh, HFPP, uh, in conglomeration with the White Papers, they, uh, pretty, they, uh, high, they worked with a group called PROPS, Physicians for Responsible opioid prescribing. Uh, if you look at the history of props, uh, really started by this Dr. Kaladny. Again, as I said, I don't know the man personally. I've emailed him, but he's blown off my emails. doesn't want to talk to me. I'm not in his league. Uh, they really were a group that believed that the uh, opiates didn't, weren't needed for pain. Now, it's not a bad thing, okay? I mean, I don't agree. Uh, if you dig deep into the history, we've tried throughout the we've, we've tried everything back in you know, before Christ, it was Willabark, it was a physicetamenophen. And uh, if anything, we know that those drugs are more dangerous than opiates because uh, it doesn't take much to kill you from Tylenol toxicity, okay? But you know, these were a group of doctors that believed that there has to be an alternative, so that was okay. But then they got too big for their bridges. They approached the CDC, they approached the FDA and said, we want to limit the amount of opiate that a person takes to 90 morphine milli equivalents. Uh, the FDA turned around and said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There is no root. There is no ceiling for opiates. Uh, we do know that genetic factors, biochemical factors, biopharmaceutical factors result in different people needing different doses. Uh, I had a patient who had a fungus ball in his lung who was on 300 milligrams of oxycodone three times a day. Uh, he was from the southwest and he was functioning well but the pain that crap caused was unbelievable and uh, he was doing well and uh, of course because he was on a lot of opiates america would call him a drug addict because uh, once you cross the blind and oh no everybody turns into a doctor oh, no you're not in pain you're a drug addict which is a bunch of bullshit okay this is not the case you know, i'm sorry to be so sorry to be so frank but any event uh and they also asked the fda to uh uh, limit the amount of time that a person can take opiates to three months. And the FDA said, you're nuts, okay? Because, you know, we've known about chronic pain for centuries, and now you want to change the rules. No, because uh, that's prejudicial towards people with chronic pain. And uh, they also wanted to to take away the, that the moderate pain. In other words, they wanted moderate pain not to exist. Basically, if you read the FDA, they thought they were a bunch of quacks. Uh, again, they went a little bit too far. Uh, the, uh, despite that, the prop lied and said that uh, the FDA gave them the red green light, which was not at all true. Okay, not at all true. It didn't happen. The FDA said what? Uh, they turned to the CDC. Uh, it seems to me like the CDC felt that there were like these little 
annoying mosquitoes or annoying little chipmunk that keeps coming to your home for food, you know, one day you say, okay, fine, look, I'll feed you. Uh, the CDC uh, used them as advisors and they made recommendations. Uh, uh, they recommended urine drug screens, but uh, urine drug screens could not be used to call a patient a drug addict, okay? Uh, they used uh, uh, they uh, did mention the milli equivalent, but they re they mentioned it as a recommendation, not as a rule. Uh, they but they said yeah, this is what we advise. Perhaps you should look at this, but we're not going to come between doctors and patients, uh, and several other things. I mean, basically, the CDC guidelines of 2016 were not rules; they were suggestions. Despite this, Jeff Sessions and the Trump administration strong-armed the CDC, strong-armed these, it didn't strong-arm the CDC, but it made these rules laws. And anybody not following these rules was a criminal. Why? Because they kind of lumped, if you don't follow the CDC guidelines, that falls under fraud, abuse, uh, and waste, which is criminal, which is criminal, which is, you know, considered criminal uh activities so that's the rest of history so they criminalized the opiates and so basically any physician prescribing opiates for any reason is at risk for criminalization and we see that okay and somehow again i don't know how but the mainstream media and the government are in cahoots uh they take a doctor and they bash him in the news it happened to me they tell lies you as a physician call say wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute i want to Listen to me, listen to me. Uh, this is what really happened. The media doesn't want to hear it. They don't talk to you. Although they're supposed to talk to you, or they're supposed to get your side of the story, they just want to publish the bad thing. So you may have kicked a woman out of the practice, some young woman out of the practice, because you felt that she was just there to abuse drugs. She turned around and accused you of sexual harassment. You went to jail, and the newspaper published that story without getting your, without talking to you and getting your side of the story. You know, so... Uh, that's what this has turned into, and that's what the HFPP is. Basically, it is a means of criminalization. And the FPP, F, HFPP goes further. It's not just opiates. Any doctor that prescribes expensive stuff for any reason, any doctor uses technology, is at risk because they can turn it around. Like in my case, I was prescribing IVIG for a condition known as CIDP, and the government said that I was getting kickbacks. There was no, I didn't even know what kickbacks meant. Uh, they they said I was money laundering. I don't know what money laundering meant back then. But despite this, they, uh, uh, you know, the papers believed that they believed that they pushed it. The, over at the Morgantown, the university said I was a quack. And uh, if you look at my patient outcomes, they were incredible. In fact, I published papers on it. And uh, one of the papers I published, which was, which was presented at a poster presentation in Milan, in France, uh, I was the first to discover a dose-response relationship between a specific between IVIG, which is a predecessor to what we're using now to uh, for a lot of these uh, chronic diseases, even cancer, multiple sclerosis. I found a dose response relationship. I was first in the world. The FBI somehow made that paper magically disappear. I called a company that I did the study with, and they said it's in a lawyer's hand. They're not allowed to release it. Uh, thank God for autism. My autistic son found it, and I published it all over. So there it is. It's a uh, you can see it on my profile on LinkedIn, okay? But uh, 
they want to criminalize that. So this is way beyond opiates. Based, and uh, again, if you look at who was this, who, who was involved in the HFPP, it wasn't just. Uh, we're talking about politicians, insurance companies. Read between the lines. They did not invite doctors. Uh, they did not invite board certification organizations. They did not invite any kind of medical personnel. No, no medical experts. They just wanted insurance companies and the government. Uh, and again, last year, UPMC made record profits. This was a ball. This was about increasing profitability to insurance companies, appease insurance companies, and to hurt the public. Uh, our lifespan has gone down. Uh, we use more opiates than any other country. There's a reason for that because chronic disease leads to facilitation. And I wrote a paper on that on Doctors of Gen Doctors of Courage. Uh, facilitation leads to an accentuation, increase in the pain. And so ultimately, if you don't treat chronic disease, it leads to chronic pain. So we're getting it from both sides. You're sick. They don't want you. If a doctor treats you aggressively, you go to jail. Uh, doctor goes to jail. Uh, and then if you use opiates to treat the consequences, the doctor goes to jail. And it's all to increase profits for insurance companies. We call this criminal behavior. And they're getting away with it. And again, I, those of you, any of you out there who knew me years ago know I am not a conspiracy theorist. I never gave a crap about this stuff. We all know governments lie, okay? We know, we all know governments, uh, you know, stretch, you know, do things uh, that, you know, may hurt the public for the, what they call the sake of the greater good. But we're talking about crossing the line here, okay? As I said in my recent publication, uh, Nazi Germany from 1933 to 1945 uh, viciously attacked a specific sector of the population, which was very, very bad. With this program, with what they have, with this HFPP, with this uh, drug monitoring program that they have, basically all this is not, all this stuff lying about the opiate crisis and the, all this attack on patients with chronic disease in order to make a buck, it's affecting everybody, regardless of economic status, race. I mean, yeah, people of color are being disproportionately affected more because they have they're, they're not as well, we're not as wealthy and we don't have good insurance to begin with, but it's affecting all. Uh, I tell the story of a patient I had who uh, came in to see me with a bad condition known as sarcoidosis. He was pretty much fit. He was pretty much confined to his wheelchair, couldn't stand. He was emaciated and he worked for a, for a very well-known U.S. senator. Uh, once I made him better with IVIG, he used to come to the office and I got a kick out of him. He came with a bunch of cards, and he was passing them out to the other patients. I let him go. I got a kick out of it. He was basically promoting his boss, the U.S. senator. When all this went down on me, insurances dropped me, he lost his treatment. I reached out to his boss, and his boss wouldn't write back to me because my guess is he was under the impression I was just trying to use his boss to get, my, to get myself free, which wasn't the case. Uh, this led to this man's demise. This man had money. He had power. He had social standing, and he had a boss that was a very powerful U.S. senator. So this is respecting no boundaries. So this is worse than Nazi Germany. And uh, it saddens me, and I feel like I'm in a dream that I'm going to wake out of. I still can't believe this is happening, and I still can't believe that I'm talking politics instead of fibromyalgia, which, oh, God, i got so much to say about that. Alzheimer's epilepsy. I mean, one in seven persons... Uh, 
epilepsy is present 25 percent of the population a lot of people that die suddenly don't die of a heart attack they die of seizures they don't know seizures they don't know that they have so this is stuff that i want to talk about but uh you can't give bad medicine you can't give bad candy to people so before i can talk about the cool stuff we as americans have to come together and we have to address this the good news is that the government news media are starting to address this they're acknowledging that there was never an opiate crisis uh major publications are acknowledging that uh, we got a problem with our healthcare system that the people are dying for money and there's five doctors going to the supreme court the supreme court wants to hear these arguments so god willing there is light at the end of the tunnel in any event uh, hopefully in the future we'll be able to talk about some better stuff and uh in the meantime okay, uh looks like there is a light at the end of the tunnel that's it for this week's podcast and uh have a great uh, weekend and uh, stay safe